As we begin to reintegrate into the world post-lockdown, we're confronted with the fact that our lives are not the same as they were before 2020. And with that comes the realization that a lot of us have to relearn, rebuild, and restart. Struggling to do so myself, I wondered how other people are able to rise from the ashes of crumbled moments throughout their lifetime. I'm Rebecca Lee, and this is season two. How the fuck did you bounce back? Thanks for joining me. Thanks for doing this. Thanks for having me. Of course. Okay. So let's just jump into it. Okay. What, what is a challenge that you've faced in your life that you are most proud of overcoming? <laughs> it's a big question. It is a big question. It is you a big might, question. I could go in so many different. I know. I was going to say, you might have multiple go in so many different directions um of course there's a helicopter right now can you hear it or is like are my airpods canceling it out it's all i can hear i can't hear it but you I can't? Mean, great mm-mm. and that's all that matters <laughs> uh well you know i guess like i guess i should just use the most recent one which was a which was like a monumental breakup that i went through this year um i was in a five-year relationship and and we broke up almost a year ago now it was probably like a month out of a year ago um but yeah that that's that's the big one at the moment (laughs) yeah um what why did you decide to end the relationship you know there it's it's funny when you like look back on it versus versus when it's happening in the moment i think that uh your your idea of of what it is in the moment is different than what it is when you start to reflect on it a little bit more. Um, and honestly, it's a little, it's hard to parse out even still because I do think that being in the middle of a global pandemic had so much and not having enough space and being in a one bedroom apartment, like all of these things influenced, I think our ultimate demise, if you will. Um, and so it's hard to like pinpoint one specific thing, but one specific thing that we definitely didn't agree on that is like concrete and no one's fault is the difference in wanting to have kids. Like I want to be a mom. I really want to be a mom. And and his, he just didn't know. He's, you know, he just, he just didn't know. And um, it's really hard when you get to an age, you know, I'm 35 where I kind of do have to start thinking about that kind of stuff in like a, in a real timeline kind of way. Mm-hmm. And um, I want to emphasize that that's not like the only reason and, and, you know, I don't want, I don't want to like air anyone else's, you know, laundry anywhere, but it was, it was an inciting factor for sure. And, um, it's been really interesting to move through that process alone in the world. (laughs) Um, because like I turned 35 in July and like all of these other things that, that make this part of your life really hard, just happen to happen in the same year. So is that enough for <laughs> yeah, to, yeah. To what what else? <laughs> what else happened? You said like a lot of stuff happened at the same time. Like what? Oh, I still. It was a rough month. November was rough. That's I right. so we went through, we went through the breakup, and then two weeks after that, I was on a trail run in Malibu and fractured my tibia, and so I was like, I was like physically broken. Like I couldn't even get on a, I couldn't even get like fit on a plane because my whole leg was like in a brace. And then two days after I broke my tibia, my grandmother died, and I couldn't get home to say goodbye to her because oh I was God. like 
so it was just it was it was all of those things within like a three week period um you know when you're mentally broken and you're physically broken and your heart is broken it just leaves you with like very there isn't a lot of light in the world you know <laughs> there is just, yeah I'm there isn't so, a lot I'm of light I'm so sorry to hear about your grandmother's passing um how did you like take care of yourself during this very daunting time in your life? Not very well at the beginning. Um, I think being physically broken was really hard for me because I'm a very physical athletic person. I work out all the time. It's an important part of my life. It helps my brain. Um, and not being able to do that was so excruciating because it's kind of like, you know, when you go through a breakup, I feel like it's pretty typical to be like, ah, I'm going to get a six pack, you know, like yeah, just yeah, kind yeah. of like the only things you can control are these things. And so I couldn't even do those things, you know, so it was like I lost all my my tools. I think of everything mm -hmm. like having a tool belt of things that you pull out when you need them. And I didn't have any at that time. So I was I. I'm usually the advice giver and my friends, I think that I am very maternal and I often am the person who's helping others. And it was the first time in my life where I had to call everyone that I loved and say, I am literally not okay. Just like, I'm not okay. And ask for help. Cause I, I, I couldn't do it. <laughs> I couldn't do it. Well, yeah. And also it's like, exercising gives you like endorphins and it's like when you're uh you know they say like when you're in a depression or in a funk or whatever to like move your body and like get going mm -hmm. and it's like you couldn't do that either couldn't do anything couldn't do anything other than just like sit and be alone with myself because that's the other thing it's like I was living with a partner for the last you know we were together for five we were living together for I think it was four or three but like just uh, all of your normal comforts, the things that tether you to reality when you're going through a hard thing, all of them have evaporated. And I think that when you are left sort of just like as like the most raw version of yourself, like you do learn some shit. Yeah. You do. You do. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh God, I was going to say something. No, I can't remember what I was going to say. Um, whatever. It doesn't matter. It'll come back to me. Um, okay, so when you reached out to ask for help from people, is that is that what you did? Like, what did you want and, like, what was most helpful for you? Because I'm sure people listening to this will go through or are currently going through a breakup or a death or, like, you know, just life's really, really hard stuff. What was helpful for you? From what was helpful for, for me was – and I'm still doing it because – grief is such a process and I do mean all the kinds of grief, whether you're, you know, I mean, when you go through a breakup, you're grieving a whole life that you had a whole person. And, um, I'm still actively moving through that grief and there have been waves of it that have been more intense in the last few months. And then it subsides. And, um, I have asked people to receive me exactly as I am. And it is incredible how, when you say a sentence like that, like, can you accept the fact that at this moment in time, I'm not going to be a super good friend. I'm not going to answer the phone when, when uh, all the time, I'm not going to respond to text messages when you say, how are you? Because even asking me, how are you? is like, it's such a daunting question. Sometimes like when you're in the thick of anxiety and depression, you think a helpful thing would be someone saying, how are you? But for me, it's debilitating when people ask me that question. I'm like, what do you mean? How am I? 
Mm -hmm. I'm alive, I guess. Like, um, you know, and so like being super clear about like the language that I respond to, telling my mom the kinds of questions I can handle from her, like being crystal fucking clear with people about what you can expect from me and what would help me and and like the way to phrase it. And I only learned how to do that through therapy. Yeah, I was going to say, like, that sounds so like self-aware and also you're setting boundaries too on like what you can handle and what you can't handle and yeah I mean yeah yeah and I think it's demonstrated like through other I mean you can only speak therapy to people who have been in therapy right like it's like a secret language once you once you know it you know that the other person has been in it you're like oh okay so we can talk this way now you know it's like mm-hmm. it's, it's like a secret code um but like a great example, one of my best friends in New York, Maria, she um, she sent me a message the other day and just very plainly asked, why don't you ever respond to text messages? And I sent her a very plain response in return. And I said, because the last three months have been some of the darkest moments of my life. And sometimes when people reach out and say, how are you? It feels like a pedestrian question. But for me, I feel the weight of the world on my shoulders. And then catching up with you, getting on the phone with you makes me feel like I'm going to have to either put on a show or hash out all the trauma that I've been going through for the last few months. And I don't want to do either of those things. And so then I don't answer your text message. And that's exactly why. And like getting down to like the root of it and just plainly saying it and recognizing that like, oh, the friends that I can have in my life will say, oh, okay, accepted, you know? And if you can't handle that answer, then I can't have you right now. Cause this is what I am. <laughs> Yeah, that's huge, though. Um, have you... Okay, so you learned to do all of this in therapy. How long have you been in therapy for, if I may ask? I mean, I've been in and out for many years, but actually, consistently, this last round has been two two years now, going on... I guess I'm going on my third. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like... And I, I've been in therapy for years and years, too. So I feel like I feel like it is. I mean, I say like I feel like everybody should be in therapy. But then I go, well, people can't afford therapy because it's fucking expensive. And mm-hmm. so it's like, I don't know. It's such a tricky thing, but it's so it's just so helpful if you can um, afford to do it or if you have the the privilege to be able to do that. Um, it's just so helpful for yourself. How have Given all that, have you found that your friends or your family or loved ones have, like, have you lost any of them or are they mostly understanding? They're like, yeah, of course. I don't think I've lost anyone because I think that I learned this fact about myself a long time ago with my friendships, specifically with my friendships with um, female identifying folks. Like I, I think back in my twenties, like I had a couple moments in friendships where I feel like with women, it's not really fair because we were kind of like raised with like glamor magazine and like those types of articles that are like, girl, if she's not doing blah, 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 then she's not your friend. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like we were sort of like, you know, if you're vaguely the same age as me, like we were like raised with like not super great foundations of like female relationships. 
Um, and I think that our expectations of each other as women were often like way higher than like men expect of each other in male friendships. Mm. And I feel like I've combated that for like a long time in, in a couple of my, you know, friendships when they were less mature moments where I was like, this kind of thing doesn't work for me. Like whatever you're doing, the fight you're trying to start or the, you know, I, I felt the need to comb through those kinds of people very early on in my life. Mm. And so I think that I boiled down my, my friends to people who can handle that kind of exchange and are, are of a similar mindset, you know, who can, who don't need to talk every day. Mm-hmm. who can just pick up a phone after six months and be like, Hey, I love you. How are you? You know, what's going on? And not be like, I just think it's weird that you haven't called, mm-hmm. you know, like I can't, I can't do that. I can't do that. And I haven't been able to do that for a while. So I guess the the long answer to your question is I probably did some of this work to make sure that I had the kind of people around me who could handle conversations like that in my twenties. So that now I'm just surrounded by people who get it if that makes sense. Yeah, no, that makes complete sense. Um, Have you always been good at like combing through friends or like setting these boundaries or setting these expectations for other people for how you're going to act and behave? Or was that, is this a skill that you've learned? No, and I think I'm better with women than I am with men. Mm-hmm. I have trouble having these types of conversations with my male friends. I keep people in my life for way too long because I am an empath and sympathetic and feel everything you're feeling and like I it's like the bane of my existence like I'm not always good at it for some reason it's easier for me to do with women and that's a really interesting question and I'm sure it has something to do with like you know my childhood or what the fuck ever but like yeah I I'm not always good at it I'm not good at it in romantic relationships at all yeah I was like oh we can my ex and I can be friends five minutes after we broke up like no you can't no you yeah. can't yeah what are you doing like no you can't do that maybe maybe some I don't know but like you can't it doesn't work like that at least not for me um so no I'm not really good at it at all how did you learn it just in ther- the years of therapy and like practicing mm, I think it was trial and error yeah yeah because I mean it didn't always work there were certain friendships that I that I held on to and tried every which way and the other way and and I was like this just doesn't work like we're not supposed to be friends we don't speak the same language we don't we don't value the same you know whatever it is um so it's I think it's just trying trying it and seeing who sticks around because that's the answer Mm -hmm. that's the answer yeah did you you with people yeah go ahead (laughs) I was gonna say growing up did you see boundaries set for you like did you have like a good example of that? Because you seem so in touch with yourself and your needs and you're able to vocalize them to people in your life. So I'm wondering if that, if you saw a model for that growing up or not. (laughs) No. And also like, we don't have to talk about your growing up if you don't want to talk about it. No, I, I think that um, I think that your parents do the literal best they can with what they're given. And I think that my parents did the literal best that they could with what they were given. We were raised in a challenging environment where we just didn't have enough money most of the time. 
and everybody was just doing their fucking best, you know? Yeah. And she wasn't raised in ideal circumstances either, you know? So how could she know what to teach me? And that's what I mean about like the generational thing. Like upon reflection, you sort of just go back and go, no, I wasn't given the tools, but you just have to learn. I guess you just decide to learn them. Yeah. I mean, we, I feel like, I guess we're starting as starting to as a society talk about generational trauma, but like for me, that's like a new concept and a new term even, and mm-hmm. and I feel like it's so um, vital to understand like who you are as a person to know like your past in that way, you know. And I just don't feel like we talk about it enough. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Um... Because if you if you consider that you are exactly who you are because of who your your parents are and the way that you were raised, mm-hmm. then you simply must know the way that your parents were raised in order to figure out why they are the way that they are, mm-hmm. right? And so, like, it would be crazy for me to wonder why my mom had trouble doing A, B, and C as a parent if I cannot also acknowledge that her mother was a first-generation Italian-American immigrant who was raised with a father who literally didn't speak to her Um, She worked on a farm and lived in poverty, like for most of her childhood, and then clawed her way out of it because she could sing and then got married to my grandfather when she was like, really young and like had this like, whole new world open up for her and then had, you know, like, if I don't know those things about my grandmother, how can I, how can I understand my mother? Mm -hmm. And then how, if I don't understand my mother, how can I understand myself? Mm -hmm. Totally. Yeah. Um, Growing up, what do you feel like was your biggest challenge? The biggest challenge. Like, what did it have to do with? Because I know you mentioned, like, growing up in poverty and not having, like, not always being able to um, pay for things is that something that like was that a challenge for you growing up or yeah but you know my mom hit it really really well so like interesting here's a a funny example like um i thought ramen noodles were were called raymond noodles because my mom just pronounced them wrong my whole childhood and i didn't learn until i got to college when all the college kids were like um you know like getting the the ramen noodles because they're like 10 cents and that's what college kids eat I didn't realize that it was like a food that people viewed as like a cheap food or Mm. you know what I mean? Until I got to college because my mom knew how to spin ramen noodles really well. Like she'd like make it an exciting thing. She'd be like, I got ramen. And we'd be like, oh my God. And we'd be like so excited. We didn't know that they were 10 cents a packet. Yeah. We didn't, we didn't know. But like, no, if you're asking like if I knew I was poor and I really, I probably should like look up, like, I don't, I don't know that we were at poverty level. I don't Mm. actually know the numbers. So I actually kind of want to like walk that back and figure out like, I don't know, but I do know that my mom was a waitress and that Mm -hmm. I would come home. She would get home from work at night. And the morning before I went to school, I would count her money on the table. I had an understanding of money of not having enough and wishing I had more at an age where I just shouldn't have known that. Yeah. You know? So yeah, I was hyper aware of it. Um, I was worried about it often, not because she made me worried about it. It's just, you can't, she used to count the groceries on the conveyor belt when we were right before we get up to sort of like guesstimate how much it was going to be. She's like two, three, 
you know, I didn't know that that wasn't just normal, you know, I don't, I don't know. I just didn't know. Yeah. 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 How has that affected you as an adult? I only, I only recently um, learned that like, just because you were raised with not enough money doesn't mean that like the rest of your life is going to be that way. But I chose like, I went into musical theater. So like I was the poor kid in New York. Like I, I got so good at being poor, but this is the first time in my life where like, I'm completely financially independent and financially stable. And it is the most liberating feeling I've ever, ever had. And my parents are also doing much better now. You know, like it's not my, I have a, uh, I mean, it's technically my half brother. I would never refer to him as that, but technically for the, for the yeah. sake of the story, he's my half brother who was raised with a very different childhood than me because my mom got remarried and he, they were, they, you know, they had money then. And so like very different, like, no one is that way anymore in my family. Everyone has sort of like leveled and pulled themselves out. But um, it it affects every, it, it It's like a sort of like weird, like shame that you carry with you. Like you mm. always like once you've been a poor kid, you always kind of feel like a poor kid. I don't know how to explain it. Yeah, that's wow. That's like big, though, to like realize and recognize that. Um, has it caused like you to like your relationship to money I know you're saying like it makes you feel like you're always the poor kid but like are you like great at budgeting now or like has that like like the positive sides if if there are any positive sides to to having that upbringing yeah definitely um I I know I'm really good at being poor and I'm really good at having money because I know that both are fleeting so like now I know how to be both. And if you told me tomorrow, Elijah, you, you only have this much of money for, for this week. And like, you can't just go have wine and you can't have this $240 a month yoga membership. And like, what are you going to do? Like, I know I can adjust because I've done it mm. a bajillion fucking times. I don't want to, <laughs> I'm over it, but I know how, and I appreciate it more. And yeah. I understand the value of it. And I, I appreciate it. I appreciate it so much more now. Yeah, that's it. I love that statement that like both are fleeting is so true. And it's like everything in life, you know, it's like everything's fleeting. Nothing really is in our control and nothing really is permanent. So it's like, how do you exist in a world that is that, you know, how do you accept that? Right. And like let go of like the stranglehold that you have on like whatever outcome you want instead being like, well, I can't control that outcome. I only certain things are within my control, you know. I mean, it's it's kind of hilarious that like we wake up every day with like a plan. Isn't it like funny? It's like kind of amusing. Like if anyone's watching us, they're like, oh, look at all of them. I know. They're waking up. They're going to pull out their little laptop and they're going to boop, 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 boop. And then they're going to go lift things and put them back down. Like, it's just so, it's actually kind of comical. Like, what we, what our idea of having a plan and being totally. alive is. Yeah, it's totally. Um, how did the pandemic, I know it affected, you talked a little bit about it affecting your relationship. And boy, do I know that. Um, the pandemic affected so I mean so many people's relationships like when we earlier this year like coming quote unquote out of it or whatever I know that it's still very present and all of that but like getting over the big major hurdle and getting out of isolation I've seen more breakups I saw more breakups within like a month 
than I had in like years. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm just wondering like how the pandemic affected I know it affected your relationship, but also like your career, because you're also you're an artist, you're an actor. Um, mm-hmm. And so am I. So I know how, how the struggles of that. But I'm curious of how that affected you and your career. Um, it definitely made me realize that, like, my idea of success was just being busy. Mm. like, And it almost didn't matter, like, what I was busy doing. Because you can, if you're busy, you can trick yourself into thinking that it's all for this thing. And I'm working towards a goal and I'm busy. And if I'm tired, then that means I've worked hard enough today. And if I'm exhausted, then that means I'm pounding the pavement. You know, and that might be like part my theater school upbringing. And excuse me, but um, having the like great pause was. I learned so much about myself. So I was like, you absolute little psychopath. Like you think you're so chill. You can't even sit here. Your ass can't even sit here for a week. And then it gets gets extended to three weeks and you're like crying, calling your mom. Like, what am I going to do? Like, oh my God. Like I was like, it just made, it made me realize how externally motivated Mm. most of my actions were, I guess. Um, and career-wise, I mean, I didn't really have much of a career to speak of, like, if I'm being mm. honest. Like, I had yeah. moved to L.A. when the pandemic hit. I'd been here for, I guess, four years, which is nothing in L.A. time. Mm-mm. And I wasn't union yet. And I was doing a lot of non-union commercial work. I was doing that. But I wasn't really, like, there wasn't much to to speak of. I had been making, like, web series stuff with my friends and, like, doing the thing that we all do, which is, like, writing and creating things because no one will let us write and create yeah, so we do exactly. it ourselves. Yeah. Um, but actually the pandemic was great for my career because I just, I started making content. Like I started writing my own shit and I was watching these women around me, these women who I thought were really funny, mostly people that I knew through um, my ex uh, that had gone through the groundlings program and mm. stuff and just kind of watching them make things and, and kind of like first being hit with a twinge of jealousy of being like, why are like, ugh, why are they getting like all the attention? And like, well, I'm funny. And then I was like, but you're not doing anything, Eliza. <laughs> you're just sitting here complaining about how you have to sit here. And they're doing that. So like, it was really just kind of being motivated by other people doing something with their time. And it kind of gave me the steering wheel as far as like finding my voice in this giant industry where it is really not encouraged to find your voice. It's really, no. you're really encouraged to just like, learn the casting director and what they want and whatever. So I started making content, you know, TikTok and Instagram and all that shit, um, really because of the pandemic. I doubt I would have ever done it if it weren't for it. Yeah. Um, and that opened some doors for me. So Yeah, I was gonna say, how did that affect your career? Because you're like have tons of followers on TikTok now. I do, but like I I don't really do it that much anymore. I had put myself on a challenge when I started, which was doing it every day, which is insane. It's a lot. Um, it's hard. It's so much, mm-hmm. too much. And then it sort of started to work for me, and that was great. And then I got like my first actual like, you know, I, I booked a Hallmark movie of that summer, so I was like, oh, I get to be a real actor now. And so I kind of took time off for that. And then two months later, I was going through this massive breakup, and my whole life imploded. So like this year, I haven't been posting really at all because I refused to do things that didn't feel good, and mm. I didn't feel funny. 
I didn't feel funny at all. I was like, what a sham I would be if I got on there making jokes because I'm so sad and broken, (laughs) you know? So I just yeah. didn't make stuff. So I lost a bunch of followers. And I mean, it's I, I, I've started making stuff again, but my goal isn't really to just be like a TikTok creator. It was always as a means to get my creative juices flowing, to give myself a steering wheel back. And um, now I'm writing more in the long form and trying to focus more on acting and writing rather than thoughts. Yeah. Yeah. That's so interesting. I feel like it's interesting to like think of the pandemic and isolation and like think of the positive things that came out of it because obviously so much negativity and loss is is happened and is associated with that. But like taking a step back to like go like, oh, I wouldn't have done this if it wasn't for being isolated and going fucking nuts. Um, I don't know. I, I, I find that like super interesting. Yeah, I mean it's it's wild to think about. I think I think if it weren't for the pandemic, I would still be working. I'd still be waitressing at Laurel Hardware. Not that there's anything wrong with it. You make super great money. I have friends that are still doing it because it's the best way for them to make money, and that's awesome. For me, it was destroying my soul. Not because of the restaurant. It's whatever. I just mean all of the restaurants. Like I couldn't do that. I couldn't yeah. bring people plates of stuff anymore. Yeah, is the thing. Yeah. Um, so now my supportive job is like, I'm a copywriter. Like I, I sort of like a lot of things happen because of the pandemic that have made me a much, much better version of myself. That, and I wouldn't be that version if it weren't for that, which is weird because it was horrible. Yeah, yeah. And you said something about like you weren't good with like sitting still during the pandemic. And like, did you throw your energy into making content and that was how you didn't go crazy or maybe I, you didn't go cra- I went crazy. No. So I don't, maybe I you went, no, I did. I know I went crazy. Cause I didn't, when I say I started doing it, I didn't do it like in March of 2020. I actually didn't start it until March of 2021. Like mm. I started it like almost a year into it. Mm. Um, no, I was going crazy. I would go in my, car in my carport and just cry I would just like scream into the abyss for like no particular reason like it wasn't like any there was nothing wrong but there was nothing right (laughs) yeah whoa yeah (laughs) yeah that's such a good way to put that (laughs) it was it it was on always on days like the fourth of July you know like our first like big holidays when we were stuck where I just like would sit in the kitchen and like think like am I really gonna make another sourdough like is this really <laughs> how I'm spending another fucking day but now it sounds so stupid because it's like I don't know I think now I like laugh at the fact that I couldn't get through that because now I, I feel like now I could now I'm like oh I've learned how to slow down a little bit and now I have the tools so like if there were another one I'd be like no big can hang yeah. for a couple months. <laughs> I mean, it'll never happen again. Hindsight is always twenty twenty. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, yeah, I'm like, I remember making that. Remember that coffee drink that was like you whipped instant coffee or whatever. Did you see that? It was like a TikTok trend. But I think I missed that trend somehow. Um, oh, whipped uh, coffee. Whipped yeah, coffee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did so How many. How was of those. that? Uh, it was fine. It was, yeah, whatever. It's like everybody's it sounds bored. Easier than sourdough. Yeah, I never made sourdough. It seems very hard. Yeah, like literally don't. Just buy a loaf of bread. Like, it's fine. Uh, We're not pioneer women. (laughs) What, uh, 
what is one of the biggest or some of or one of the biggest challenges that you face like today? Maybe not like today, today, but like, you know, at this point in your life. I think it's my struggle with clinical anxiety, like on a Mm. daily basis. I think that it's just so hard because some days you really do have it under control and other days like it's absolute fucking chaos. And it's so frustrating to feel so capable some days and just have other days where the mind just goes down the rabbit holes and it's just an everyday struggle. It really is. And I've gotten better at it. I don't know if that's too broad of an answer. No, no, no. That, yeah. Do you take medication for it or? I don't. I was on medication when I first started going back to therapy. I guess it was like two years ago. That was at a really bad time in my life. Like my mom had been diagnosed with cancer. My brother had relapsed and like my world was imploding and everything was terrible. Um, And that's when I went back into therapy and she was, and they were like, I think maybe some Lexapro for you. And I was like, I think you're right, sir, (laughs) for sure. (laughs) But then um, I I got off of it last year. Um, Wow, I've had so many traumatic events in the last two years. I just, I just remember what I just said. And I just like very cavalier, just like said it. And I was like, that was actually a really hard time. And then a year later, it was another hard time. Yeah. Um, no, I'm not on anything right now, but I was for a little bit. The only way I can describe it is that it felt like it was helping until it wasn't anymore. Mm. I woke up one day and I just felt like, I, I don't know how to explain it. I was just like, I don't, I want to try going off of it. And I did. And um, I think it was the right decision at the time. I think that this summer was, was pretty hard and maybe I should have, maybe I should have reached out and tried to get back on it. But, you know, going on and off is not the way to do it. It's mm-hmm. too hard. I don't know if you're on anything. Oh, but like, oh yeah, I am. <laughs> yeah, but like you can't just go on and off and willy-nilly. I mean, you forget yeah. to take it for three days and I feel like I'm like brain mm-hmm. zapping my way into like another, you know, dimension. So like I didn't want to go back and forth. So no, I'm not on anything at the moment. I will say that microdosing mushrooms has been super helpful for me. Ooh, someone else talked about this on uh, on an episode. I'm so interested to hear your experience with that. Yeah. I mean, I went on like a really great mushroom journey, um, with this really cool company. Um, shoot, what are they called? I'll think of it. I'll think of it. Um, flow, flow dose, flow dose. That's what it is. Really cool company that like takes really, really incredible care of their plants and like of the whole process and just is really a really, I really like doing it with them they they just created this experience and it was like the most la fucking thing i've ever done and it was like in santa monica like on a roof and like we did yoga and like breath work and whatever but like i moved through some shit man um and then when we left it was like you know you could or could not buy microdosing you know stuff if you wanted and i was like sure i'll try it on for size and i i found I, i had a really positive experience from it um and I just finished my bottle, so I should probably get some more. Um, but I'm really interested in all of that and like in all of in like plant medicine when it comes to like PTSD and and you know, just all that I don't know. We haven't explored yeah. it enough, I don't think. So you go to like the one like event or whatever on the rooftop you said, and then after that they're like, Okay, if you wanna continue, like this is Yeah, so basically they have a, a really interesting way of creating a community. They 
it's all through word of mouth. So I knew another woman who, um, the the guy reached out to her. I, mean, I don't know if you call him a shaman. Is it always a shaman or is it I only a shaman when it's like, ash? wait. I'm not the person to, I don't have the answer because whenever I do things okay. with mushrooms, it's just like, I you're just like in like, the woods get, and you're like in Joshua Tree. Just like, I just like get it from a random person and I'm like, all right, no, this will do. Yeah, I guess I'm trying to figure out if shaman is the right word or if it's that if it's that is specific to another drug. But regardless, um, the person who guided us through the experience basically cultivated the group together. Reached out to one person who bought microdosing um, mushrooms from him and was like, "Hey, I'm going to do an experience on Saturday. Do you have a group of like seven people that would want to do it with you?" She was like, "Yeah, for sure." It was completely free. And I was like, did not understand how it could be free. I was like, this feels weird. Um, but it was this beautiful, wonderful experience. And truly, they cultivate their community by understanding that like-minded people know like-minded people. And that if you bring in some people for this amazing experience and they have a great time and they're interested in mushrooms, they'll probably buy some microdosing ones from you. And like, there you go. Business is, is had. But like, it's not, you don't have to do it at, at all. You don't have to buy. There's no pressure. It's just sort of like, come as you are and um yeah i mean the next time i get an email about one i'll let you know i would I like to you'd go. really enjoy it i would like to go every time the thing about mushrooms is that like they release some of or from what i've read and i'm not an expert on this at all but from what i've read it's like they release some of the same chemicals that occur when you're taking an antidepressant um like there's some similarities so people who are on an antidepressant don't get as affected by the mushrooms as someone who's not on um an antidepressant so like every time i've done mushrooms i've been on an antidepressant so it's like fun for me but it's not like the same drastic experience that it was for like other people there i'm like yeah this feels good this is fun i like this but it wasn't like you know this felt, this, this felt medicinal this mm -hmm. felt like the, you know he asked what your experience with mushrooms excuse me with mushrooms were he asked if you were you know sensitive or insensitive to substances and then he made this tea and he made like the dosages based on like everyone's personal kind of experience so um i think the benefit of doing it in a controlled environment is that you have someone who really like truly honors the plant that they're working with and believes in it and believes in its cultivation and, and sharing it the proper way. And like, I think that there's a big difference between the way most people have done mushrooms and then the way that I was first introduced to them. Cause that was the first time that I had done them. Yeah. Are there any other like natural, naturopathic or I don't know the other word alternative to Western medicine, things that like you've tried or want to try? not substance wise i mean what's the one where you where you like under and you like throw up and you like ayahuasca ayahuasca i mean that's that's the other one that i've heard of that is like a religious experience but i also know that you need to be prepared to like go into the darkest scariest corners of your mind and like trust that you will come out the other side and like i don't know my I've been in really dark, scary corners quite a bit for the last few years. So yeah. I'm not okay. Like, I'm like, good. Like, I don't really, I don't know if I'm like, I'm, I think I'm okay <laughs> at the moment. <laughs> yeah, I'm good on that. I'm good on the dark but, corners of my life. Yeah, like maybe like when I'm 50 and I yeah. like maybe things have settled down and everything isn't so hard. But at the moment, I think I'm good with real life. <laughs> yeah, you're like, I'm living in a dark corner. Like, that's how I feel yeah. sometimes. So I don't, need to, I don't need to do that. I don't need ayahuasca to, to show me yeah. that I'm living in a dark corner. No.
Yeah. Um, what do you do on like a day-to-day basis, whether it's like a routine or a ritual or journaling or meditation? Like what do you do to keep your mental strong and to keep you like grounded and sane? Um, because I work from home, it's important for me to have a schedule and to kind of regiment myself. So if it means I'm going, I, I kind of alternate days like coffee shop work days and stay at home work days because they both have value. Um, but I'm, I, I kind of structure my day for myself. And that's usually around when I go, I go to hot eight yoga, which is like this really, really great yoga studio that I've now adopted as a religion, mostly because I'm there six times a week, but um I just take yoga sculpt or yoga bar or like power or whatever it's just like in a fucking 115 degree room and it it's been so good for my mental health to have that consistent thing that I do every day um and I feel stronger than I ever have physically so I always uh, I'm a creature of habit so that helps for me so something physical structuring my day and also like um, I do think that with therapy, sometimes, um, uh, people can get really caught up in talk therapy and talk therapy isn't necessarily the same thing as understanding, you know, if you have something like anxiety and it interferes with your, your daily happiness and wellness that, you know, there is a restructuring of brain patterns that you must do in order to make it better. And so I try to really pay attention to my real-time reactions to anxiety on a daily basis because I do know that I am in the middle of like restructuring the way that my brain works, right? Like if we have anxiety and we have moved through the world for, in my case, 35 years, letting our brains worry, go down rabbit holes, allowing ourselves to move into panic attacks, live in a state of panic, it's going to take quite a few years to re- like you know, reconstruct our brain pattern so that we don't go there. And that takes time and consistency. So like keeping my mental health in check is also moving through my anxiety in real time and like painstakingly taking the time to go, what is the trigger? Why am I feeling this way? What of these things are facts? What of them are made up? What stories am I telling myself? How can I rebring my, like reframe my thought? Like it's really slow, (laughs) hard, work and I don't think that it's just enough to be in therapy talking to someone because doing this kind of work to restructure your brain patterns is very very different than every week or every other week just going and being like yeah and then this is annoying yeah yeah do you do like CBT or like is there a specific type of therapy that's worked best for you yes CBT for sure I just read a lot of books and okay. I try to just like get to know the way that my fucking brain works. I listen to podcasts. I what I find other people that have anxiety or that have moved through different therapies. I have asked what what are real time tools that work for them, like the stop sign technique, which is literally just envisioning a stop sign. So you stop the rabbit hole that you're going down. But like, and it's it's simple, but it's effective. And when you combine little little tools like this in your tool belt, you do learn how to stop yourself from like having a full blown panic attack on a Tuesday afternoon for, for no reason, you know, but yeah. what's the, so- say the stop sign thing. Like you just imagine a stop sign. Okay. So imagine, uh, okay. You know how you like take the same route to work every day or somewhere. And sure. sometimes you, 
or wherever you go, right? Yeah, yeah. Your, your brain goes on autopilot. You don't yes. have to think about it at a certain point. Yes. All of a sudden you're like, how did I get on Sixth Street? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Think, think of the way that your brain works in that way as like kind of being similar with anxiety, right? So your brain has gone down this path a million times. It knows exactly where to go. It does, you don't even have to think about it. It's not a conscious effort anymore. So in order to stop yourself from going down the rabbit hole of anxiety, the what if, and if I did this, then this could happen. And when I said this, she might've thought that I meant that. And that could mean that, right, right? Like the, mm -hmm. the rabbit hole is what I call it. Mm -hmm. The stop sign technique is literally just there so that you have a, vis a visualization of something to make your brain just go stop. And your job is to envision the stop sign and sometimes verbalize stop and give yourself an activity. The activity could be painting your nails. The activity could be knitting. It could be writing. It could be writing in a gratitude journal. It could be going for a run. It doesn't matter what it is. You are simply rerouting. You're rerouting the fucking brain. And with time over and over again, eventually your brain might not need you to stop physically and say, stop and do the mm -hmm. thing. Mm -hmm. It might start to go, oh, I learned this other pattern last week and I didn't know there was another route to work, but I can get here too. And actually it saves me five minutes and you start to train it to go yeah. the other way, but it's only through repetition. So you have to, in those moments, like do it, like do it. And yeah. the, the joke is that like a lot of people just don't want to do that. They don't. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's like we it. have spent years creating these neural pathways and like the the thing the vision that I think of when I think about it is like a river that's like carved its it, it's like path or whatever over mm -hmm. years and years and years and now this is it's just flows that way and mm -hmm. having to then create a new path and have the water like carve it out but it's gonna take a long time uh, and yeah so it's just like changing a habit is just it's hard. It is hard. And I also think that people with anxiety and people that are prone to panic attacks, I think that it's easy to begin to identify yourself by these things, right? In mm. the same way that anyone with any any um, other ability would, would start to identify by like, oh, I have a bad right knee. That's just the way it is, you know, whatever mm -hmm. it is. And and I've, I've, I've known people that I've had to have difficult conversations with and say, do you think that you identify as an anxious person? And do you think that that's become comfortable for you? Mm. Because what it does is it makes them think like, well, that makes me think that you think that I don't, that it, that's not real. I am not saying it's not real. I am telling you that you have a steering wheel that you can still control. And I'm telling you that I am a person who is physically debilitated by panic attacks every single day for a long, long time. And I have found a way to not be anymore. And either you want to learn how to use the steering wheel or you don't. But like, I do think that that's another major challenge with high functioning anxiety is that it just becomes like, well, that's just the way it is. And that's who I am. Yeah. And you don't really have the desire to do the stop sign technique. And yeah, I wonder if any of that has to do with like how much you value yourself and like love yourself. Because part of me is like, I mean, and I don't know. I don't have an answer for it, but it's like, I know that when I did not value or love myself, like I didn't do anything to like help my brain because I was like, well, I don't fucking care. Um, I just wonder how, if that plays like a factor into that type of thing. Um, I'm sure. I'm sure it does. And I'm sure it has everything to do with like. My mind was always worse when I didn't have a partner. Right. Mm. When I was alone. Right. And so like 
when you feel more fulfilled and you feel taken care of, you are less likely to go. I don't know. Like, and, and I'm not saying it was purposeful. It's just like, you can't ignore the tendencies, right? Like you right. can't, you can't ignore your periods of high anxiety and, and recognizing that they were connected to times when you didn't have a lot of self-love, when you didn't really care about yourself and when you were depressed, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like it's, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, it totally. all does make sense. If you're like in the middle of a panic attack, mm-hmm. what is this? What are the steps that you do? Um, so grounding techniques are the best thing. And I don't mean physical grounding. Like there's grounding where you go out and just sort of like sit on the earth and sort yes. of just do that. And that's a great thing if you are feeling um, like you're starting to disassociate. I don't know if you've ever had disassociation tendencies oh, yeah. or anything where you've started to feel like, I don't even know if I'm connected to my body right now. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't feel real. Mm-hmm. You know, grounding is really good to physicalize yourself back to the earth. But um, in the middle of a panic attack, one of the biggest problems is that you can't catch your breath. And the more you think about not being able to catch your breath, the more you can't catch your breath. And the way that I've described a panic attack is like you're throwing up with your brain. It's like, you know, it's coming, you know, it's coming and you don't want it to happen. But like, you got to puke, like your, your stomach has to get it out. Your brain has to get it out. So it's going to do it. But I do um, grounding where I'm, I'm wherever I am. This is a plant. This is a chair. This is mm. a laptop. This is a plant. This is a chair. This is a laptop. And again, that's just rerouting, right? That's giving me something to do. That's giving me something to focus on. It's bringing me back to reality and that in a panic attack, you're no longer based in reality. You're either based in the past or in the future. And mm. another one is here right now. So doing that is usually the thing that gets me down back to like regulated breathing. And it's kind of the only, it's kind of the only real time thing that works for me. Or if there's a person, like if there's a person around, like I've had times where I was in the thick of one and my roommate happened to come home and I had to come out and just say, I'm, and she knows me, right? So, and then I just, she has to kind of just like hold my hands and like give me eye contact. And we just, and we just breathe together and I come back and I'm, mm-hmm. I'm back again. So if you don't have a person. God, you have a great roommate and friend. Yeah. And that person. That's amazing. Yeah. You're really, you're re- it sounds like you're really great at asking for what you need, which is like a skill I'm working on. I'm not great at it because like I just, have always prioritized other people's needs and not my own, which is like part of my codependency and like why I'm in program for it. But it's like, it's hard for me to even trust my wants and needs because sometimes I just like, I didn't grow up with anybody uh, allowing me to figure things out on my own. I grew up with a narcissist who, if you didn't do it this way, you will not get love. So it's like, well, I didn't have to develop any self-trust because I just did whatever this other person told me to do. And now as an adult, I'm like, Oh, God, I don't even trust my feelings sometimes, which is fucking hard, man. It's really hard. It's really it's a really scary feeling to not trust your own gut. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, I'm not good at asking for it in romantic relationships. And I think that that was one of the things that led to my breakup is I was really, really incapable of verbalizing what I needed. I shut down and that was on me. Like I, that was a huge thing that I learned from that. Um, and it's something I'm still working on. Um, so it's funny, you can be good at asking for it from some people and not good at asking for yeah. it from others. Um, yeah. but the only way to like trust your gut is to, is to keep trying it on for size, like, like listening to it in really small ways, like, 
not 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 trying to use it for giant decision making mm. when it hasn't been trained to do that yet when it didn't even know it existed until this year and you acknowledge that you've never used it before because you didn't have to yeah just like I'm waking up in the morning I'm like literally asking yourself the question like what would I like to do today and allowing like your instincts and your gut to sort of guide a day a Saturday mm. a mm. Sunday and once you have a positive experience from sort of following your intuition in small ways, you get braver to use it in, in bigger ways. So yeah. if you're working on that, I would try like so gently just, and maybe you already do that. Maybe no, I don't. You don't even know it. Oh, well, maybe. And I don't know it, but not conscious. I don't consciously do that. Um, which... You ever like have a day off and you do like sit and like in the morning and go like, what would bring me joy today or like what would I like to do today or are you do you think you just kind of like go on autopilot and like do a bunch of shit and then I think for the most part it's autopilot I think there are some days where I where I go like what would bring me joy today but I would not say that's like the norm um the, the one area that I will say I have done that in is just like moving my body I used to just work out in ways for like my physical appearance but not yeah. my mental health and I would do it you know like the normal gym which I know the normal gym works for a lot of people which is great but for me it was agonizing to go um I tried like CrossFit once agonizing but I'm like well I have to do this to get the body that I want which is a whole nother fucking thing um but I've I've learned that like Pilates is my thing like that is what feels good that brings me joy that type of movement um makes me feel good and it's not about like the result of it anymore. Mm -hmm. It's just about the process of 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 moving my body in a pleasurable way and it and being able to connect to my mental health and like because the mind body connection is just so strong. Um, so that's like the one area that I've that I'm I've gotten pretty good at. But like when it comes to like relationships and all fucking all that stuff, not great at it. Well, and when you're with a partner, I only had to develop it, I think, this year because when you're with a partner, you wake up and you turn to someone else and go, what are we going to do today? Sure. What should we do? Or someone brings you coffee and does this or we're going to go, you know, and, and, and you're, so much of your life is dictated by another person's wants and needs. And it's not that there's anything wrong with that, but it is very easy and very alarming when that person isn't there anymore to be sitting by yourself going, what do I do when no one's telling me what to do? Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah. So I didn't have to develop it until I was fucking alone every weekend. And then yeah. I had to literally go, well, Eliza, either you're going to sit here in bed all day depressed, or we're going to go try and find some joy. <laughs> so I'm like, you know, like what would bring me joy? Well, I love the beach. Okay, Eliza, let's go to the beach. And then we would go to the beach, me and myself, and then we'd have a nice day. And then I'd come home and go, what would bring me joy now? I'd like to cook this thing. All right, let's go do that, you know? <laughs> yeah. You and then you, and then it's just like yourself. all, yeah, dialogue with yourself. That's so, that's so key. But it's like we also live in a society that is like, no, you need to be you need to have like productivity we need to like see what you're working on you need to be always working on something um so it's not like ingrained in us to like ask ourselves like what will bring us joy um so even that is like kind of like a big fuck you to society and the norms it's like no I'm not gonna do your thing I'm gonna do my thing uh mm -hmm. you know if okay I'll wrap it up with um if you could give advice to your younger self or it could be just anybody now. 
uh, just a random human if you don't want it to be yourself, like what what piece of advice would you give? What life advice? <laughs> I think I spent much of my 20s very, very concerned with what other people might think or what other people might say about my behaviors. And it was a really liberating thing when I learned that no one's really looking at you as much as you think they are. No one's thinking about you that much. No one really cares. You should just do. And that's not in a callous, mean no. way. It's not, it's not meant, you know, it's not coming from like me being like a bitter gal who went through a breakup. It's, it's, it's truly that no one really cares. Mm-hmm. No one really cares. No one's hinging on your decisions and your, the way you move about the world, you know, like just, just, just take care of you and don't worry about because no one's probably even saying anything. Yeah. I had a conversation about this yesterday of being like, you're thinking about this way more than that person's thinking about this, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's like, do you really? It's like, I guess it must be like related to ego too. Cause it's like, well, I must be affecting other people. And it's like, not really. Like most people are just thinking about themselves. Right. Yes. It's affect. I think it's affected by ego and I think it's influenced by ego and influenced by anxiety too, because you're constantly, it's displaced. What if the, what if the, what if the, what if. Right. Um, but I, I, I remember just being in New York and I had, I was like a boyfriend at the time and he like dared me to do something like, like weird on the subway, like something like funny. And I was like, people are looking and I'll never forget it. He looked at me and he goes, oh, I thought someone's looking at you. <laughs> I was like, So you're saying I'm ugly, Kevin. That's what I'm saying. Right. I'm sure that's what I did with it. But like now I still think about it. And I always think about that. In the subway of life, no one's looking at you. I love that. In the subway of life. Uh, Well, thanks. Thanks so much for giving me an hour of your time. It was a treat to be able to talk to you. And now I have some tools that I'm absolutely going to put to use. So I hope you will. (laughs) Thanks for listening to this episode of How the Fuck Did You Bounce Back? with guest actor, writer, comedian, content creator, Eliza Hayes-Marr. You can find her on TikTok and Instagram and probably Twitter. Uh, Her handle is her name, Eliza Hayes-Marr. Okay, let's get into it. Uh, So we talked a little bit about Eliza's breakup, how that coincided with her fracturing her tibia and her grandmother passing away all within like a three-week period. Um, And she talked about how she felt both mentally broken and physically broken and how the physical part was really hard because she lost the tools that she normally had to deal with um you know crises in her life for her that's you know working out and moving her body and she couldn't couldn't do that uh with a broken tibia so she she just started to tell people like I'm not okay and reach out and ask for help she then talked about how she asked people to receive her exactly how she is because I was wondering like how it affected her friendships and her relationships with her loved ones um and she just said that she flat out said like this is who I am right now can you accept me how I am um she talked about how like just even the question how are you how that felt so loaded and not helpful and she said that being super clear about your language just being clear about what you could expect from her And she said how much that has worked and how helpful that was. And that's definitely something that I've been thinking about is 
you know, when you're going through something, asking your friends and loved ones, like, this is who I am right now. Can you accept the fact that I, I'm not going to text back as much or or fast as fast as I normally do? And um, I'm not going to want to go out as much. And are you OK with that? Because that's where I am right now. She talked about making sure you have the real and honest conversation and information with your friends she then talked a little bit about boundaries because I was curious, as you know, if you've listened to any of my episodes, uh, boundaries, that's something that I um, am working on. And she talked about how she's better with boundaries, um, setting boundaries with women than men. I asked about um, just her friendships over the years, and she talked a little bit about how it's trial and error and seeing who sticks around. We talked a little bit about generational trauma and how that's not discussed enough. That's definitely something that I'm interested in that... I don't feel like it's talked about enough. She talked about growing up not financially stable. And I asked how that affects her now to this day. And she said that she's now financially independent and stable, but sometimes she still feels like a poor kid. I asked, like, is there a flip side to that? Like, has that helped you in any way? And she said that she's really good at being poor and really good at having money because she knows that money is fleeting. We also talked about the time of, COVID and isolation and she said that it made her realize that she considered being busy as being successful and when she wasn't busy she didn't know what to do with herself Um, she talked about how she was externally motivated and she began to utilize that time by starting a TikTok which by the way you should absolutely go follow she has tons of followers and she makes all really funny content Um, but she discussed that during isolation she took the steering wheel back and she found her voice again and I think that's really cool and it's she's she said it and I agree it's not something that is like it's not something that's particularly um talked about in the industry or even like valued in the industry having your own voice but as an artist you know when you lose it at least for me it's when I feel the most depressed she talked a little bit about refusing to do the things that don't feel good to her which is amazing because I don't normally think about that and it's definitely something that now is in the forefront of my mind like what do I want to do today what is going to make me feel good today she talked about her struggle with anxiety and how microdosing mushrooms um, has helped her a lot she talked about how schedule and structuring the day is very helpful for her um, as well as therapy and she talked about realizing that it takes time to rewire your brain and reframe thoughts And you can do that by asking yourself questions. She talked about reading a lot of books as a way to get to know the way her brain works. And then she talked about asking friends who have anxiety what works for them and adding those tools to her tool belt. She talked about the stop sign technique, which I thought was very helpful and interesting to me, which is like when you're having anxiety to literally envision a stop sign and say the word stop and then go do an activity. And I am absolutely going to try that. She also talked about um, grounding exercises, Um, for example, just like saying out loud the things that you see in a room like plant, chair, laptop as a way to regulate your breathing. Or if you have someone around you, you can breathe with a partner to try to regulate your breathing. She also talked about listening to your gut in small ways rather than big ways if you're learning to trust yourself like I am. Um, Because it's, you know, hard for me. It's not a muscle that I'm used to using. And so her advice to me was listening to your gut in small ways and building up to the big ways and then last we kind of talked about that no one really cares like 
it's kind of sad and like maybe hard to hear, but it's like most of the time people are thinking about themselves. They're probably not thinking about you. Um, so like no, no one really cares, uh, which to me is like valuable information because like, oh yeah, I got to step outside my ego for a second and realize like I'm making this a way bigger deal than everyone else's. They're not even thinking about me. Thanks again for listening. Uh, new episodes every Thursday. 